This episode centers around the topic of eating disorders. If you or someone you know is struggling with eating difficulties, you can seek support from the National Eating Disorder Association. Call or text 1-800-931-2237, or you can visit them online at www.nationaleatingdisorders.org. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. I'm Chaplain Kevin. And today I'm talking with Lindsay, who found herself trapped in a cycle of comparison. And through it all, she received help that supported her journey towards joy. This is Coping. Well, hi, Lindsay. I am so excited to have you here with me today. Thank you for sitting down with me and sharing some more of your story. Yeah, Kevin, I'm so happy and honored to be with you today. And I actually have with me also Emma Kate, who is two months old. Mm. She's resting on me right now. <laughs> so uh, you might hear her kind of make her little baby coos <laughs> and breathing noises. Sure. As I was reading your story, one of the main themes that came up for me was this idea of joy. How do you define joy? What does that word mean to you? I think that joy is something that we are able to access and kind of cultivate when we make what is often has to be a conscious decision to remove kind of these glasses of comparison. Yeah. So a lot of times, actually, we might think of joy as putting on like rose colored glasses. Like we just Mm. want to pretend like everything's great and fine Mm. and happy. Mm -hmm. And that's really not what joy is. I think when we choose to put on kind of glasses and lens of comparison where we're constantly um, comparing ourselves and our circumstances, then we really kind of close off our ability to receive joy. Yeah. Where in your life have you had to take off those glasses of comparison to really experience true joy? So I started off as a kid as a pretty joyful person, a pretty joyful kid. And I loved school. I was on a lot of sports teams. I had a you know, boyfriend all through high school and was pretty confident in myself and had a lot of capacity for joy. I think, you know, I was the girl who would, when you'd go to like homecoming dinners and all the girls would order a salad, like I would order the pizza, you know, like I was a very confident and healthy person around food and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. But we had a family friend, a close family friend that had two girls. One was uh, my age and one was a few years older than I was. And I can remember that um, Nicole was her name. Mm. Um, She started to, was losing weight and everybody was getting really concerned. Mm. And we weren't really sure what was going on. And after, you know, some time, I don't remember how long it was. I remember getting a call from my mom one day. And she said, Lindsay, Nicole's dead. Mm. And her mom had walked in. At that point, I think she was like 21 years old. Her mom had walked into the apartment, I think, and found her. Her body had just given out. Mm. And I remember going to her 
funeral service mm. and the biggest emotion I felt was anger mm. and I was so angry that we had somehow developed into a society that would make girls feel like they had to do that to their bodies in order mm. to be beautiful or loved mm. or accepted yeah. and I can just remember like my like righteous anger about mm. that and so when I got to college i moved all the way from the west coast in california all the way to the east coast to virginia mm -hmm. and was really excited about that but i moved into uh, a dorm mm -hmm. and really started becoming more aware of a lot of things related to body image mm -hmm. i was also sort of dealing with a big transition in terms of my identity as a student mm -hmm. and was in kind of a you know tumultuous situation trying to hang on to the high school boyfriend mm. and letting go of that there was just a lot going on i remember coming home during thanksgiving and i had lost a little bit of weight which in my mind was really unintentional mm. um and so my mom and i thought it would be a good idea if i went to see my doctor back home mm. just to check in on everything mm. and so i already kind of had that layer of support and checking in making sure i was still healthy mm. but i hadn't really connected it at that point to any specific mm. actions or mindsets yet mm. it didn't feel like a huge red flag but it was something that we mm. noticed and how did you feel did you feel like you were um healthy even though you had lost a little bit of weight you know i think i was really separating my physical body from my emotional mm. like part of myself mm -hmm at that point right. and I think I was probably in a little bit of denial about how much that transition was really mm. kind of rocking mm. me to my core mm. because I so badly wanted to just keep being that really good driven mm. student and daughter and person and mm. so I think I probably was kind of becoming a little bit distance from the connection mm, there mm. that was happening to me physically from like the rest of me. Sure. Yeah. So once the doctor had kind of checked me out, you know, kind of explained that this is not necessarily, uh, you know, unusual to happen mm. in a big transition, you know, weight fluctuation. So we were just keeping an eye on it. And at that point I went back to college after, you know, the winter break and, was gradually just becoming a little bit more obsessed with tracking my food and in the dining hall they would post calorie content mm. and nutrition information all that so I started notice myself paying a lot more attention to that mm. and trying to figure out a regular exercise routine I had done sports year-round mm. in high school so all of a sudden I was having to give myself my own schedule and routine right. where that had always been provided mm. who knew about this uh struggle that you were having um, with your weight, but also with relationships? Who was helping you navigate some of these uh, dynamics and difficulties? I think my friends were probably noticing some things, but weren't really sure what was going on. And mm -hmm. so I think what was happening was I was slowly becoming, you know, a little bit depressed mm. and wasn't really sure at all like that had never really been part of my story before right. and so 
by the time I went home for summer break, Mm -hmm. I was working two jobs. I was a nanny in the day. I worked at a restaurant at night and I really wasn't home that much. And so I was able to really start to isolate and to develop these really restrictive eating habits. Mm -hmm. I became really obsessive and really perfectionistic. I think about, you know, exercising, all the time, counting calories and, you know, nutritional information of how many calories and comparing, Mm. like, should I eat this or should I eat that? And we're talking Mm. like, you know, a five calorie difference might really Mm. make me change my mind, even if I really wanted something else. And so Mm. really losing my own ability to tune into my body. Like, what Mm. do I want? What sounds good? What do I need? Am I hungry? Am I full? And really just ended up, you know, even being really secretive about certain things, Mm. you know, like if I wanted to eat a piece of pizza with everybody, but I wanted to, you know, (laughs) take a napkin and get all the grease off of it first, but Mm. I didn't want anybody to see me doing that. Mm. All these things that are just so actually unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I thought I'm being so healthy and Mm. I'm going to make sure that I keep my body like Mm. the way that it's supposed to look by all of these standards that Mm. must be right. And another really big, you know, talk about wearing comparison glasses. I was constantly looking at what would other people Mm. eat and what was their body type Mm. like? And then wanting to make sure I basically that I would eat less Mm. than they would eat. And, um, so just hyper aware of what everyone else is doing and eating. And as long this kind of weird satisfaction, if, if knowing that I ate less or I ate quote unquote healthier, Mm -hmm. and I'm talking about like, I had a spoonful less, Mm -hmm. you know, rice or whatever than somebody i mean just like absurd like that's gonna make any difference you know but that's how obsessed and kind of in my head i was about things like Mm. that so all these little really bizarre specific things just really sucked the joy out of eating which is really such an important way that we experience joy with people we care Mm. about so it sucked the joy uh, out of eating but also the joy out of you yeah yeah, absolutely. I was no, can you imagine how you would feel eating with me? I mean, I was so not fully present to people. I mean, I was trying to, you know, keep up everything. And in some ways I did that for a while, but there was this lack of underlying joy. Mm. And by the time the end of summer came, I remember my mom coming home and, and finally just saying like, what, what is going on? Like, look at you, Mm. like, you're not the same, you're really irritable, you never seem happy, and like, you are, you know, you've become a skeleton. Mm. And I remember going into a dressing room at a store, kind of for the first time in a long time, and and looking, um, like, turning around, and I was trying on a shirt, I think, like, looking at my back, and, and being a really, like, horrified by what Mm. I saw just like bones basically Mm. and that was when I had this moment of realization Mm. like yeah I have a problem we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you by be well resources Be Well is a wellness organization that provides mental and spiritual tools for whole person health. Be Well helps you develop your unique gifts and discover your calling. 
Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Be Well Resources to take your next steps toward being well. Welcome back. And so it was like this physical manifestation. Like, yes, I had lost Mm. weight. And yes, I had like physically become the skeleton, but I had also lost all the other parts of myself. Spiritually, I was Mm. starved. Like my friendships were really starved Mm. too for just my fullness of presence. Mm. You're able to see it for the first time. Yeah. Wow. I really had become a shell of myself kind of in very literal Mm. and metaphorical ways. And I was willing to say yes, like something is really wrong and I don't really know. Then we got on board with finding, you know, medical professional Mm. help and my diagnosis was anorexia Mm. and I really hated having that label Mm. at the time um, because it feels like it's just such a defining Mm. label. And it was also sort of like, how, how could I be anorexic? Mm. Like I saw what happened to my friend and I should have known Mm better and so I think grappling with that and I think for my parents them experiencing the real fear that the same thing was going to happen to me that I might I might die and if I had continued what on the path I had then I I would Mm -hmm. have died I firmly believe Mm -hmm. that it was August when this happened I was getting ready to go supposed to be going back to school for my second year moving into an apartment with with a roommate um and my parents, I really am grateful to them. And I think they wanted me to be able to go back and, and you know, have this experience mm-hmm. at this school that I really did love. Mm-hmm. And so once they knew they could have a team in place for mm-hmm. me, which required three mm-hmm. people, a medical doctor, a nutritionist, and a mm-hmm. therapist, then they were willing to let me go mm-hmm. and start again. Mm-hmm. But there was constant communication between the team wow. and them. Wow. Did that feel restricting to you? Did you feel um, that it was a burden or did it feel like it was helpful? Did you, could you see the help that it was intended to be at that time? Um, I'm a people pleaser and right. I've always <laughs> wanted to be a pleaser with my parents. Um, so I think I, think I knew mm. like this is this is my new thing I have to do in order to like be good mm. and to, and to be perfect and to do it. Mm. And so, mm. and on, on one level, I really knew I really had a problem. Mm. I was so deep in, you know, in my eating disorder that I, I did not really understand what needed to change. Mm. I thought if I would just start eating a sandwich every day mm. at lunch, right. that I was going to eventually, things are just going to be fine. Mm. And so just a real mm-hmm. lack of truly understanding sure. the depth. I mean, I come back to the second year, like excited and all of that. And what I come back to is a bunch of people who are like, um, what's wrong with mm. you? Because I had even lost a lot of weight, you know, since I had left for the summer. Mm. And so I come back to friends who are happy and supportive, but... I now am no longer just a normal college student. I now have a full-time job Mm -hmm. of recovery Mm -hmm. while I also have my full-time job of being a student. And 
I'm trying to hold those realities and keep one very mm. secret and private because I'm essentially ashamed mm. that I have mm. this problem, mm-hmm. right? And while also trying to still be my outgoing extroverted self. Mm-hmm. So um, this real mm-hmm. struggle to hold both of those things. Yeah. And recovery, you know, was really a journey. So mm-hmm. I would have to go and be weighed on the scale every week while everybody else was just doing normal college mm-hmm. things, you know. And every week I had I had signed a contract basically that if my weight fell, you know, much further below like a specific number, mm-hmm. that I would then have to go into inpatient, wow. um, to an inpatient uh, center. Sure. And so I did not want that to mm-hmm. happen. And so every week having to go to get weighed was like this, Mm. you know, very fearful, Mm -hmm. you know, experience wondering like, is this going to be the day that changes Mm. everything or not? And I really want to keep making weight, Mm -hmm. but I also don't really want to gain weight, but I want to gain enough weight, but not too much weight, you know? So like the the eating disorder kind of took on this, like it kind of adapted to this new phase of recovery right. to where like I could be in recovery, but still kind of hang on to the eating disorder. Right. It was still that people pleasing that you're attempting to do um, within the illness yeah. that you're eating now, because this is what your team and family want you to do, but you're holding right. on to not eating too much. So still not super joyful. If you can imagine, because <laughs> right. my, my head is really yeah. still all up in this space yeah. of comparison. Your joy is about, making other people joyful, uh, fulfilling mm-hmm, other people's mm-hmm. plans and goals for you. Um, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. you mentioned, um, that you thought eating a sandwich would be enough to turn things around and that you really had no concept of what um, that really entailed. What did your true recovery actually entail? Yeah. So, you know, if I kind of think about the first months of recovery, I had to kind of, I like to call it kind of date a few therapists mm. until I finally found sure, the right one. Sure. So in those early months, you know, I was in just kind of this very superficial level of recovery, mm-hmm. you know. I remember being in college at a party at someone's apartment um, that uh, early in that second year of college and going going into the bathroom so I could lie down and do sit-ups, mm-hmm. like that is how obsessed I was mm. about things still right. and, and thinking like I'm still in recovery. Mm. And clearly, I mean, mm. that's just such a, not a normal right. thing to do. Mm. Um, and I can remember early in that year too, like going to, um, hang out with a bunch of people at someone's house and having some friends who hadn't seen me all summer and pulled me aside into a room off to the side and we're like, what's going on? Like, we think you have a problem Mm. and having to convince them, like, I know I have a problem, but I am getting help. Mm. And people kind of not believing Mm. me because they didn't really have much evidence (laughs) to back that up. Um, And did you share the label anorexia with them or did you, um, were you vague in what details you shared with your friends? That's such a good question. I don't know if I shared that label. Mm. I think I, I think I probably steered away from, from really claiming that Mm. label too much. Mm. There was a time later when I lived in a sorority house and I had a sorority sister, like tell our house mom that I was throwing up, which I wasn't, Mm. but I was basically accused of being bulimic. Mm. And, um, and so I had to sit down and have a meeting with them and Mm. I think kind of all these series of these like 
meetings and having to mm. explain it just made me i think feel really ashamed mm. as if the recovery and the illness um yeah. wasn't enough the stigma with it too yeah 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 for sure mm. i was afraid to admit like i had fallen into that too right, you know right right so you're in the midst of recovery. You have this team of support around you. You're dealing with the stigma of your uh, diagnosis. What does your journey take you next? Yeah, so I reached a point where I kind of hit sort of a plateau, mm. I think. Mm. And so I was basically in early recovery, but the eating disorder still had a really tight grip on me, I would say. And mm. we ended up finding a referral to a woman named Kate, uh, Kate Bruno, and she did work uh, almost primarily with eating disorders. And so, mm. and she was right in the, the town where I went to college. Mm. And so I started working with her mm. and she had had an eating disorder in her past mm. as well, mm. anorexia, and had recovered. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that it's really common in the eating disorder world to sort of frame it as Listen, this is an issue that you will always struggle with. And to me, I do not think that has to be true. Mm. And I can remember one night falling to my knees in tears mm. because at that point I was like, I don't want to live like this mm. forever. Like this mm. is actually miserable mm. and I can't just wake up tomorrow and it be gone. But I know I don't want to just cope with this. Right. And Kate was the first person I think who really gave me hope that mm you can you can recover from mm -hmm. this and you can get your joy back sure. and i'm an example of that mm -hmm. and so she really was just she saved my life mm -hmm. in so many ways mm -hmm. it took her her voice right. kind of mm -hmm. helping to retrain the voice in my head wow. to re really rewire my brain and it's the reason why my daughter's name is mm -hmm. emma kate i knew Oh, you know, years ago, before I ever met my husband, that if I ever had mm. a daughter, I would want to name her after mm. Kate. Because to grow up in a world that doesn't always teach girls and women to be mm. confident and mm. joyful in who they are. So um, naming her after Kate was mm. sort of my way of honoring just the importance mm. that Kate played in my life and my mm. recovery. And I actually got to see her this summer for the first time in like 11 years oh. or something and um, tell her in person that I was going to name the baby after her. Wow. What advice do you have for those who may be struggling with eating disorders right now? I think if you find yourself in an eating mm. disorder, you know, type of situation specifically, I just would want to encourage you to find like mm. your Kate, mm. to find help and to know that you're not alone it's such an isolating right. mm -hmm. sickness and it's it's an its own form mm -hmm. of addiction as well and there's a lot of there's a lot to mm -hmm. lose in that and but it can you don't have to stay mm -hmm. stuck in that and you're not a bad person because you've experienced mm -hmm. that i mean i think about now how much i value and love the the students i've worked mm -hmm. with and that have gone through that and it doesn't make me view mm. them less it 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 makes them you know strong and and in ways that you know other people mm. might not get mm. to experience and what advice do you have for those that are struggling with joy because of those glasses of comparison yeah i mean i think you know there are probably lots of your listeners who 
don't identify with an eating disorder mm-hmm. specifically, but I would be willing to bet that many, if not all mm-hmm. of them, know what it's like to kind of live in a state of comparison, of constantly wondering if we're measuring up and how quickly comparison is the thief mm-hmm. of joy. And so comparing to others is really never going to help us, you know, become better mm-hmm. ourselves or, you know, be a better version mm-hmm. of ourselves. And there is a verse that has always really captured, I think, what mm-hmm. recovery looks like. And oh, hi, Emma Kate. <laughs> um, and it's, it's from Romans uh, 12 to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing mm-hmm. of your mind. I think just knowing the fact that it is possible for us to rewire mm-hmm. our thinking, to be transformed mm-hmm. in our thinking, that that recovery and healing, it really yeah. is possible. And I am a testament to that. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. Thank you for your your honesty, your vulnerability, and these lessons that you've shared with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much.